Hello and welcome to episode 8 in the Creating Customer Success podcast series. My name is Dan and I'm your host. And my name is Alex and I'm your co-host. In this series, we're interviewing customer success leaders to learn how to build and run the best CS teams. In today's episode, we're joined by Ian, who has previous experience at Salesforce, Fuse Universal, and is now founder of Success Methods, where he provides customer success training and consultancy. Yeah, thank you very much for joining the podcast today, Ian. Delighted to have you on and really looking forward to uh, diving into the questions today. Um, just to kick off, it'd be great to get a quick introduction to yourself um, and a bit of background uh, to explain how you ended up in the position that you're in um, and yeah, a brief history of your career in CS, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Um, and thanks very much for inviting me on, gents. I'm delighted to be here. Um, so I've, it's an odd thing to say because the role hasn't been around probably for 20 years. There certainly hasn't been the title CSM around for 20 years, but I feel like I've been in it for about that amount of time. The reason I would say that is I started my career in this kind of field as a technical account manager at Siebel uh, back in 1999. So exactly 20 years, it turns out. Um, and Siebel, originally that role was very much a technical account manager. It was very focused on some of the technical aspects of implementing the Siebel platform. But Siebel as a company realized after a period of time that some of their customers were really struggling to succeed. So they set up a team. That team was called the Implementation Effectiveness Team. And that team went to all the successful customers and tried to figure out what was happening that was making them successful. And they went to a whole bunch of the customers who were struggling. Again, looked in detail at what was going on. And what they came up with was there was too much focus being put, particularly by Siebel, but also by these companies, on the technical aspects of the implementation and not enough time was being spent on things like governance strategy you know the people process technology aspects of things and so they created what they called the implementation effectiveness review which was a methodology for basically helping customers ensure they were addressing all of those areas um, and that came to my team i was running the uk at that point uh, amongst others to implement so i began to implement that with my team and we began to see results uh, and it was kind of like a customer success management role because you were much broader than technology. You were much broader than a fixer. You were there really to help lead a customer across all these domains so that they would generate value and get the outcomes they wanted. We weren't using that language necessarily at the time, but that was very much the role. What was interesting, it was a bunch of the people who were involved in putting together that review went off to Salesforce who put together the initial customer success program at Salesforce. So the thread the thread kind of runs from Siebel through these people to Salesforce. Um, I then joined Salesforce as it happened, um, and you know there were a bunch of colleagues there from Siebel, so there was quite a movement from Siebel across to Salesforce um, to run the UK and Ireland customer success management team. And the job that I ended up doing there initially was taking that seven domains framework, which is what uh, Salesforce called the customer success framework and implementing that into the team so that we were beginning again to drive a consistent approach to customer success management, um, focused again on looking across the whole landscape of things that customers need to do to be successful with a focus. And again, we probably still weren't using the terminology value and outcomes, but that was kind of assumed, I guess, or that was the, the implicit assumption about what we were doing. I uh, spent four years there, and then I've had a variety of senior roles, uh, VP uh, level, and then most recently chief customer officer 
um, at a Shoreditch based startup uh, for learning management software. Now running Success Methods, that's a company I started about a year ago. Uh, we provide training and consulting services to companies really who are investing or are invested in the success of their customers. Our objective really is to help uh, profession develop and to help individuals and companies develop either their approach, their skills or their strategy and customer success. Perfect. Yeah, I think the, the success methods is, is amazing. So congrats on that. Um, it'd be really interesting to, to dive into that during the, the episode today. Um, but how are things going in general with, uh, with success methods? Good, I think. I mean, the training is proving to be uh, really popular. Um, like anything, you know, any business takes time to get started. Um, and it's, it's hard work, you know, sure. <laughs> people tell you, um, and then you start and you think, blame me, they were right. This is actually <laughs> hard work. Um, but it's going really well. We've picked up some really nice consulting clients now that we're working with. Um, we're talking with a couple of big companies about working with them, looking at kind of cross their success management landscape, which is great. Uh, and the training is going really well. We're just about to sign a partnership to feature on a, um, a, a learning platform that gets embedded into companies to help uh, help them manage their training budgets. So, yeah, I mean, going really well. Thoroughly enjoying it, I have to say. It's a, it's a, it's a nice way to make a living. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I um, just even thinking back to like your kind of history within customer success, as you've mentioned there, is there um, any way that you would define customer success today? Yes. Um, so, I mean, the first thing I would say is that I think of it as a philosophy, not just as a function. Uh, I think that's that's really critical for for leaders to understand. And when I say leaders, I mean, you know, the C-suite. I think they need to understand that customer success is something that starts at the top of the organization uh, and ideally permeates all the thinking of that company because I think as we'll probably come on to talk about, uh, if you just badge a few people CSM and ask them to get on with it, even if it's a pure CSM role, which often it isn't, but even if it is a pure CSM role, it's difficult for them to be maximally effective if it's just them thinking along customer success lines. So for me, it's a philosophy. It starts in the C-suite. Um, you know, and to be truly focused on customer success, I think you have to orientate your company around a key principle that underpins that. And that would be the belief that if you deliver value for your customers by understanding the results, which in customer success, we often call outcomes, I guess, that matter to them. And you do so in a way that allows you to measure and demonstrate or prove, if you like, the value that you're delivering. And you're building satisfaction in the process because you're doing it in a way that is respectful and trustful. Um, then you will see high levels of renewal, expansion, and advocacy. So it's actually kind of a simple equation that we use in the training. Value realized for satisfied customers equals renewals, expansion, and advocacy. And I think if you believe that, for me, that's kind of a fundamental principle of customer success. You focus on the on the left-hand side of the equation, you focused on delivering value for customers in a way that is very satisfying for them to have a relationship with you, then you trust that you will get renewals, expansion, and advocacy. Um, if your thinking is all about the renewals, expansion, and advocacy, you're thinking about what's happening on the right-hand side, you're potentially going to miss some of the critical stuff that you would do to, to really focus on the customer and on their value. So I think it's vendor-wide, first and foremost. I think it's all about the measurable success of customers in the belief that that's going to lead in turn to success for the, for the vendor. 
Um, then if you take the specific role of the CS function, I think there's a couple of things there that are really critical. So for me, the CS function is firstly, it's about orchestration of the, the full range of resources you have across a company to ensure customer success. So it doesn't mean owning all the functions, doesn't mean leading all the functions, but it does mean taking a lead on ensuring that all the right things are being done at the right times by the right people to make sure customers are, are successful. And a, a great example of that is a contact I have on LinkedIn who's gone as far as to work with our finance department to minimize the friction associated with billing and invoicing. You know, I think that's brilliant. I think that's really thinking like a holistic CS leader. It might seem like an edge case, but that's why I like it because somebody who's got as far as thinking about how we make our finance process customer friendly is really thinking about a CS leader. Yeah, I think that's really great actually. Because even um, just like from conversations we've had, I can't remember who said it, but it was to, or talking around like owning the moment. And I guess that is a moment that we have with a customer that is probably sometimes not thought of traditionally within customer success with regards to like the billing and any frustrations that can come out of that. So that's really, it's really funny that you would use that phrase. So my partner, Matt Rimmons, who, who works with me at Success Methods, he loves that phrase, owning the moment. And we actually have that on that exact phrase on a slide in our present, in one of the presentations we deliver on the training because it's critical, isn't it? Everybody has to, somebody has to own every moment. Otherwise, you know, what's the opposite of that? It's not owned. So what's going to happen? Um, so yeah, I love that phrase. Um, and I guess the second thing then I would say about the role of a CS function so the first thing is that orchestration. So, and I, I don't know that CS leaders give that enough, um, enough thought space, if you like, because um, you know you, you've kind of got to step forward and say, "I'm going to think about and make sure all these things are happening across the organisation." It takes a level of boldness, but I, if it's not customer success, often it's not happening. So I think it's a real opportunity for CS to really, you know, build an established and strong uh, footprint in an organisation as to take some of that leadership around the orchestration piece. Um, the second bit and kind of the critical bit, the core, core part of the role for me is bringing to the customer directly and ideally using some kind of structured framework so that you ensure delivery is consistent by CSM and by customer, which it's often not, right? Often it's delivered out of the head of the individual. Uh, CSM, so you get variation in how customers are, are treated and variation in how CSM operates. But if you're using some kind of framework or structured process, moved a little bit from the art towards the science, you're doing that to bring directly to the customer all the knowledge, expertise, and best practices that you need them to understand and utilize to ensure their path to value is as quick and effective as, as possible. Um, once you're getting them onto that journey, then obviously the longer term part is working with them over months and years to ensure not only is that value maintained and realized in the long term, but it acts as a foundation for further gains in value over time. So, you know, that that's where CSMs are going to spend, in my view, 80% of the time. You know, the, the bulk of the role should be about really leveraging everything you know about making customers successful into each customer in a consistent way so that they can maximize the value that they get from their investment with, with you and your technology. Um, and I think in both cases, you know, so it's interesting, the CSM in both of those cases really is dealing with a range of stakeholders and teams. So you're dealing across your internal organization, product, sales, support, implementation, you're gonna deal with all those departments, but you're also dealing 
uh, and a customer across a wide variety, typically of stakeholders and, um, and teams. Now that varies, obviously. If you're an enterprise CSM at Salesforce, that's going to look a lot different from being a tech touch CSM, you know, let's say at uh, Slack, for example, where you're dealing with a very small number of people, you might just talk to one person. But in general, you're going to be dealing with a number of teams, stakeholders and a customer. And I, I like to think of the CSM as being a little bit like the knot of a bow tie. So fanning out on both sides, you've got either the, the company you work for or the customer you're engaging with, and you're kind of the knot in the middle that's tying everything together. Fantastic. That's really great. And um, something you mentioned there just about uh, well, the second kind of point around the orchestration and, and taking ownership of CS throughout the organization, it's uh, definitely something that I've seen a need for in like the companies I've been at. Um, where I kind of do see a struggle at times is essentially the setup of how CS teams work with sales in a lot of instances. And generally that ownership is with the the kind of sales teams now i guess have have you experienced anything like that in the companies that you've worked at or with clients of success methods where you've seen that as a challenge that like the csms have had to face and have you got any advice around maybe how to overcome that so that you can take more ownership of cs throughout the organization so i mean i think you've got a couple of questions on that coming up um dan and i think that's a really interesting topic um there's always i think tension between not always there's usually tension i think between customer success and sales um often what i've seen is that you know it kind of depends right so it goes back to that whole c-suite thing if you've got a ceo who is really understands and is really focused on customer success and, and, and gets that equation, if you like, you will be in a different environment from having a CEO who is really focused on, on selling um, and bringing new business in as opposed to, you know, the retention uh, and expansion model. I mean, you know, ideally you're, you're going to be thinking about all, all three of those. Um, so I think, I think it can somewhat depend upon how the company is led, what the, the top down picture is. Um, that tension I think is, is, kind of almost inevitable in most cases. How I think CSMs tackle that is a couple of things. So if you are in position as a CS leader where you're able to bring uh, an objective view to the conversation, and for me, that would be being incredibly clear as a leader, what the value that you deliver to your customers is against you know, the outcomes that really matter to them that you deliver. So there's a finite set of outcomes that you as a company can deliver for your customer. You know, if, you're, if you're a Veracode delivering application security software, for example, what you can do for your customer is quite different from, from a Slack or a Salesforce. You can be really clear about what those things are. I think then you can orientate a company around that and it takes away some of the heat and emotion because you don't necessarily talk to sales around um, their behaviors or what they're doing. You talk to sales around, well, is this going to help us achieve these maximum, you know, the, maximize the value of these outcomes from our customers? If we, if we go into a customer and we accidentally misset an expectation around what we can do for them, that's not helpful to the overall goal we have as a company of getting the maximum value for that customer as quickly as possible. So we really want to think hard about how we absolutely set the correct expectations in the sales cycle 
So that when we come to implementation, we're teed up for a really great implementation and then we're subsequently teed up for a perfect customer success implementation. I think CS leaders can, can start and lead that conversation. And I think that brings a neutrality to the discussion that is often missing and then it devolves into emotions and behaviors, et cetera. And that can be really challenging. You want to kind of elevate the conversation above all that, bring it up to, to talking about the customer, what it is they want to achieve and how we align as an organization to do that. And I think that's the mindset of a customer success leader. So they can lead those conversations. And I think that starts to take away some of the tensions and some of the challenges because it's objective and it's outside individual teams and what they're doing and how they're behaving. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it goes back to having those structured frameworks like you were, you were discussing before to ensure that that is consistent across all of the um, the clients. Um, but I think over the past couple of minutes, really, there's some really useful takeaways from, from that. So, you know, the point of a CSM is to help clients realize value. It's to own those moments. And I, I like what you said about um, you know, being the knot of the, the bow tie. I think that summarizes it perfectly. Um, I think one of the interesting things, though, for CS leaders is, um, especially when hiring for CSMs, what are the top skills and qualities? So um, do you have any tips or advice in terms of, you know, from your own experience hiring people or from working with different um, companies, what are the top things that you recommend in terms of what a CSM should have in terms of their personality traits and uh, like their, their skill set? Um, so, I mean, I think kind of hiring and building a CS team, I think, is an interesting, very interesting area, uh, particularly interesting for us to talk about now because it's where a lot of companies are. Um, they're either just dipping a toe in the water or they've, they've just started. It's still it's an established profession, but it's still an emerging profession, interestingly. You know, it's where we're much less developed than, say, sales or project management. So, so I think there's quite a few ways to do that. And I think what companies used to do they'd kind of figure out they needed customer success and probably look across the organization and say, you know, so-and-so would be good. We'll appoint them as the first CSM and, and probably grow things out from there. I think that can work if you've got the right person and you give them the right support and you've probably got the right mindset in the organization as we talked about earlier. But I also think it's, it, it, it's probably suboptimal because that person has to work out everything needs to go along really. Um, which can take extra time and it can lead to unnecessary errors and you know along the way that might cost you so my personal recommendation if you're doing this you're at the early stage and you're thinking about putting in place your first cs professionally building a team would actually be to hire either a seasoned csm or a seasoned csm leader who's happy to be hands-on for a while and have them use their expertise and experience to build out your process and your frameworks and your and your team um, so, for example, someone I've been working with recently has just been hired into a, what's a really exciting startup, actually, to do just that. And she's a seasoned leader. And I think they've made a very smart move hiring her because she will have them up and firing and on cylinders on, on all cylinders pretty quickly. Uh, so my personal recommendation would be uh, if you're at that early stage, find a great senior CSM or who, who maybe wants to develop into a leader or find a great leader already. Um, who'll be hands-on for a bit and put them in uh, so you get started enough on the right foot straight away. When it comes to skills and qualities, so again, we kind of come back to how you define CSM. And this is where it gets very interesting because in many companies, CSM is a bit of a rebadged sales role. And if, if that's what you want your sales, your, your CSM to be, then you need to hire for sales skills and all that, that entails. 
But if we talk about what I'd call pure CSM, which is what we've been discussing, you know, the value-focused, value-realization role, then that's, although not to say sales isn't, sales increasingly is a consultative role, that's for sure, but um, CSM is definitely a consultative role designed to work alongside the customer and bring that laser focus to their, their success. Think about value, think about outcomes, think about the long term, think about building sustaining relationships. And that requires, I think, some critical skills and qualities, most of which are not exclusive to CSM, but, but would be, a, for me, important for CSMs. Um, and I'm probably going to do these in a way that is a little different in terms of the ordering that you might expect, because I have a perspective on this, which maybe isn't exactly the same as others. But for me, I think a critical characteristic or quality is curiosity. Um, and the reason that I say that is that I, I, I firmly believe to be effective as a CSM, you need to be really interested in your customers. You need to really want to get to the heart of what matters to them. So you you're going to want to ask a lot of questions. You're going to want to sit back then and use your listening skills to really understand what's being said so that you build a really great picture of what the actual situation is, what the actual needs and challenges of that customer are, so that you're then in a great position to apply what you know about your product and its capabilities to addressing that problem. And too often I've seen CSMs, particularly if I've gone into a company as a new leader, who who have answers and what they want is to deliver their answers, right? So they're almost trying to steer the conversation to a point where they can get a question and that lets them give their answers. And that, you know, that, that feels, I understand that because that's safe, right? And you're not going to get caught out by not knowing the answer because if you do dig, you, you are curious and you do ask a lot of questions, then you might find yourself in a situation where the customer presents a problem and you haven't got the answer. But that's great, right? That's great because then they're fully understood and then you can take that back to your organization and it's totally fine to say, look, I'm not sure. I'll need to take that one away. So for me, curiosity and listening are vital in any CSM so that you can, you can do that piece relatively fearlessly and really, really build a great picture of the challenges and the problems that your customers have. Yeah, I really love that. I think it's something that's come up a lot, actually, um, from the interviews that we've done so far. So firstly, curiosity is something that's come up a lot, but then also feeding that in with active listening. And I like the fact that you also touched on the asking the right questions. And I think with your traditional CSMs, um, because they may not have come from a sales background, questioning doesn't have that much of a focus sometimes in terms of like developing those soft skills around like how to really question and uncover the information that you need sometimes um traditionally you get a lot of training in that around that with like sales roles so is that something that you do in like the training right really focusing in and on on questioning or is there any way of which a csm could improve like their questioning skills how they aren't like ask open-ended questions etc so, so that's a br- <laughs> that's a brilliant question um we, we don't formally teach questioning skills on the training, although it is actually something I'm, I'm working on as a separate thread right now because I think it's so critical, um, which is why I think testing for curiosity is really important because if you've got curiosity, you haven't lost that natural motivation to ask questions. You know, so many kids get that knocked out of them in school, for example, these days. And we, we do live in a kind of answer-oriented society. So 
if you test for curiosity, and the simple way to do that is um, is to make sure you're really probing and giving opportunities and in interviews for people to ask lots of questions. If you know, at the end of an interview, I basically had a rule as a hiring manager: I would ask um, people if they had any questions, and if they had no questions, I almost certainly wouldn't hire them unless they'd asked loads in the run-up to that point. But I really want people demonstrating curiosity in interviews because I think that helps to make up for the fact that we don't really teach people how to be really effective questioners. I mean, you know, if you think about that in your career, have you ever really been taught in detail how to put together and ask really great questions? Probably not. But curiosity massively makes up for that. And I think you will tend to find that if you're thinking about testing for that in interviews, you're finding people who are asking the right kind of detailed or leading questions to get you thinking and talking. So we try and encourage that in the course. A lot of what we do is is actually workshop type stuff where we are posing questions and we're trying to get people to, to really kind of focus on how you would get to the nub of, of things. Um, so they're asking themselves a lot of questions and we're trying to provoke that. But no, we don't formally teach it. But, but, but watch the space though on that because I, I think that's a vital topic. I think for me it's... Um... Oftentimes, it's the the second question really that is that curiosity. So the first question might be something like, you know, "What uh, what are you aiming to achieve? What um, would be your success criteria?" But then the second question would be, "Why? What is that going to impact? What is that going to help you to then do internally?" And that would be the the CS side of it, really, not just understanding um, what they want to achieve, but understanding what's driving it. What where does that need come from? And I think that's the deeper level of of curiosity, really. And I think that's brilliant because when you when you're when you're searching for that, you uncover all sorts of stuff you didn't expect. If you take that first question and you take the answer at face value, you have a surface view. If you do exactly what you've suggested and you start digging for reasons and you know the thoughts behind it, not only will you find out more and develop a deeper understanding, you'll probably help, which is one of the great things about really good questioning you'll probably help that person to clarify their own views. Because in the process of articulating it to you, I mean, you've probably experienced this yourselves loads. They'll look at you and say, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Or, yeah, that's a great question. That's you helping them to, to structure their own thinking by asking really pertinent questions, which feels to them great, right? People, although that might not seem like a good thing, people love that generally because most of us actually want to get to you know the reality of what we're dealing with. So... I think that that's another really important, and thanks for bringing it up, really important aspect of curiosity and good questioning is it's not just for your understanding. It can be for the other party just as much. Yeah, I think the, the other thing as well is um, also like the, the environment of which you're asking that question in as well. So when people talk about like active listening and listening skills, there's definitely a focus on understanding obviously what they're saying and what it means, but... Um, I guess there's also an element of like the emotion behind it as well. So understanding you know, the person that's described in the situation or their pain points, whatever you want to refer to it as, are they currently, are they stressed out? Is it something that's really impacting them or are they more like positive about that? And then obviously, I guess that then feeds into, we'll probably talk about this later, but things like doing a health check and the CSM's like gut feeling about that client or that relationship that they have. Completely, completely. I mean, so I mean, just a little kind of, preview into what I'm I'm working on. So I'm working with somebody and she she talks about this as being there's three kind of elements to the, the pyramid around questioning. There's um there's content, so what it is you want to discuss and understand. There's context, so what's the environment that you're dealing with, 
what's the person, where are they, what matters to them, and there's communication. So how do you actually combine those two things into an appropriate set of conversations and questions to get you know the results that you look for? So I think context is, is vital, and it's you know great to hear that brought up again. Perfect. Um, so obviously we've talked about the the hiring skills and the um, well, I have hiring. a few more. <laughs> <laughs> so curiosity and listening kind of for me vital um i'll, I'll rattle through some of these because at this rate we're going to be here for about four hours <laughs> um time management i think is really important for csms you know you, you have to be able to manage your time well and i think part of that is being able to say no or to redirect clients um you know one of the things i've seen a little bit too often maybe and it's it's hard but you've got to kind of tackle it is csms spending their time with low value demanding clients at the expense of the quiet high value ones and that that's easy because csms like to be busy we like to feel needed we like to get things done so working with somebody who really wants to work with you can provide all of that dopamine you get from doing all of those things um but it's maybe not the maximal use of your time because the quiet guy might be struggling and just trying to sort out on their own and you really need to be focusing probably more of your time there so we're going to talk about segmentation, I think, in a bit, but um, time management and learning how to use your time effectively or being able to use your time effectively is crucial. I think relationship management, we've talked about the bow tie, I think that's really critical. There's a couple of other things I think really matter. You know, you need a sufficient level of depth in the domain that your company operates in, and that will vary depending upon what you're selling, who you're selling it to, et cetera. But, you know, and only you as an organization, so, you know, your employer, for example, only they can really decide what that is. But you need a sufficient level of domain, depth in the domain your company operates in, and a sufficient level of expertise in the product that you sell. So you've got to hire people who can demonstrate or build that. Um, persistence, I think, is great. It can be hard to be a CSM. Um, you know, it, for example, customers just might go quiet on you. Um, not because they're ignoring you or because of anything you've done, because they're focused elsewhere, because they haven't just got you as a priority, they've got a dozen things. Uh, and that can be hard and frustrating because you definitely want to get back in touch and make sure they're okay and, and, and you know, bring value, et cetera, et cetera. So I think CSMs that are positive by nature and enthusiastic and proactive, I think tend to do really well because that leads to persistence and I think that's important. Um, and then maybe depending on what you're selling, things like change management, understanding of governance, stakeholder management are all good things to see demonstrated in, in people you're thinking about hiring as CSMs. And then finally, commercial awareness. I think that's good. So, you know, we all know the jury is still out on should CSMs own renewal, should they own expansion, or should they influence it and it's owned by sales. Um, that religious war is probably going to go on for quite some time. Um, what's, have, what's your opinion on that, just out of interest? Uh, so. Um, I think we, we come on to that, actually. So I, 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 I do have an opinion on that. Um, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll come on to that. <laughs> well, I have an opinion on it, but it's, I wouldn't say, it, I wouldn't say it's, it's dodging the question. I think it's reframing it. Um, okay. So I think, um, uh, my, but to answer it, my, my personal view would be that, um, well, see, it's interesting. I, I guess does it depend sometimes on on like the company itself, how it's structured, um, the product level. I mean, for something I've I've probably found is that 
if you've got like a really complex product, it's very difficult for the CSM to drive value and then also own the commercial aspects of it. But for perhaps maybe sometimes at a startup um, where you just, you know, you have kind of smaller, smaller customers really. And it's probably not necessarily less strategic, but you do have the ability that like your probably main users are the people that sign off the contract. Sometimes it can make sense to also own that relationship from the commercial perspective. But. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. So if you think about what's typically involved, even with a renewal, you know, you might you might be wanting to do a price increase, for example. Um, if there's an expansion, there's almost certainly a negotiation to be done. Um, and, you know, I have the utmost respect for sales organizations because selling is an incredibly difficult thing. It takes extraordinary persistence it takes a high degree of skill to do really well um, so finding somebody who is excellent at all the behaviors and skills that you would want from a csm and excellent at all the behaviors that you would want from a really competent salesperson is quite a stretch right it's hard enough as it is to find csms that match up to what we've just described so for me csms you want them to have a good level of commercial awareness for me, at a minimum, they should be able to spot opportunities and do some level of qualification and nurturing. But typically, um, I mean, as you say, it's context dependent, and I think that's why it's a difficult question to answer. But for me, typically, at that point, probably handing it to either a dedicated renewals organization, if it's specific to the renewal, or to the sales organization, if it's expansion, new business, et cetera. Um, the sales source model is an interesting one there, for example. So they have a dedicated renewals organization. Uh, and typically what would happen is three months out from the renewal, you'd have the CSM and the renewal manager talking in detail about the customer. They'd know whether it was going to be straightforward, in which case it just proceeded as normal, whether or not there was going to be any pushback or to reduce numbers or whether there's an expansion opportunity or whatever. Um, and depending upon what was happening, you would maybe bring in the sales guy if there was expansion and they would lead that. Um, if it's going to be a difficult renewal, then you would certainly have the CSM and the um, renewal manager spending time together on it. Maybe even the salesperson would get involved in that if it's going to be a challenge. So I think it, I think it, um, it does vary and it does depend. But I do think it's hard to find CSMs who are fully meeting the requirement for customer success management anyway because it's quite demanding because the role is quite broad in scope layering on really good sales skills to that and saying that sales should uh, csm should own expansions or renewals um I, I, for me that's a you know it's going to work in some places but in a lot of places it's going to be a real stretch yeah i guess potentially one of the downsides is maybe changing the focus of the the csm so i think we've had this discussion on a, another episode but um if you do put a, a target on them or a quota or anything like that then that's probably what they're going to focus on the most instead of what we've spoken about before in terms of implementing that philosophy of helping to realize value. They're probably more interested in uh, going back to the equation that you mentioned, really the right hand side, which is the renewal and the expansion. They're more focused on that side of it rather than uh, the, the value side of things. Yeah, well, exactly. And I think, I think that that's right. Plus you also run the risk of confusing your customer about what your CSM is there to do. You know, they're going to be spending lots of time on the left-hand side of the equation and then suddenly the context switch to the right-hand side and they start selling. I think that's confusing for customers. It's a bit of a whiplash type thing. Whereas if it's a, oh, you know, the conversation becomes, well, you know, we've delivered all this value. Actually, you know, and you're a trusted advisor kind of status. I think we could actually do a bit more for you. 
there's this group over here who might really benefit from this module or actually we've got some new capability you're not using. I think if we deployed it in this way, there could be great value. You can have those conversations as a CSM. I think you can do that as a trusted advisor, but at that point, pass it to sales when the customer says, actually, you know, you're right, that's really interesting. And I trust you because you've helped me get so much value. So I'm going to take that seriously. Um, at which point then, you know, in, in my world, I would tend to want to introduce sales rather than have the CSM run with that opportunity. Yeah, I think I do like that structure. The the only thing with it, who would you say would own the relationship? Would that be kind of CS in terms of driving the outcomes, the values, like the, the QBRs? Or would that generally be done by the perhaps maybe account manager slash salesperson who would own that relationship and then work with the CSM to deliver value? So everywhere I've been, um, the so the ownership is such a loaded word. Um, and um, we go back to we go back to owning the moment. That's the mindset to have, right? So owning the moment, I think, is what matters here. So along the customer journey, you will have at different points potentially different people in the lead. So you might you might have your um, whoever you know is your kind of key professional services person might actually own the relationship, if you like, or be in the primary customer facing role for a period during the implementation. Then that might swap to the customer success manager who's going to be the primary relationship owner for, for that customer. But if a sale comes in and, and you need to engage the, the, um, the sales organization, then they're going to own part of that relationship for a period of time and then maybe step away once um, the sale is done. You know, so I, I, for me, it's not about a once and for all, I own this customer. I think it's more helpful maybe to think about owning the moment and I think key moments that customer success, in, in my view, should own is that EBR process. For me, that is all about, you know, <laughs> this tells you about the company in a way. If the EBR is all about, here's what we can do for you by selling you more stuff, that's the sales-focused view of the world. If the EBR is all about, here's all the value that we've delivered, now let's talk about how we deliver even more value in the future, what are the next set of outcomes we focus on? What are the kind of baseline metrics we have today? What would measure it? What would demonstrate success? Oh, okay, great, that's fantastic. To do that, we might need a bit of this software over here. Then that's a much more customer success focused EBR. And I think that's what customers want and respond to. So I'd have CSM owning the EBR moment and the EBR process, for example. Um, but I think it's too, it's, it's, too, it's too difficult, too divisive, and not necessary to say that customer success own the customer. Well, that's just not gonna happen, right? The company, the company, the vendor owns the customer. And the moment maybe passes between departments, depending upon what needs to get done at any given point in time. No, I really like that. And I think it, and I, I completely agree. And I think it does go back to what you mentioned at the start around CS being company-wide and not just a, a specific function. Um, I think the reason for asking that question, and it probably uh, relates to one of the questions I asked earlier around, the relationship between CS and sales is that sometimes just because the AM may have the target on their head, essentially, they feel that kind of pressure to make sure that um, they, they kind of have that control throughout every single touch point. But I think that there's definitely a need there 
for teams to kind of own their specific moment and have confidence in the people they're working with to, um, you know, then effectively manage their moment. Right. And if we dig into that, which I think is fascinating, what do we find? So I think if we dig into that and you think, well, why would sales feel the need to own every moment and to own the customer? Not to say this is always going to be the case, but but is there a lack of trust in the CS organization in that company? You know, so this is the kind of a question that I think is really vital for CS leaders to consider. If I am demonstrating as a leader and via my team that we can absolutely handle the customer, we can deliver to them huge value and serve up customers ready to expand, ready to renew, ready to advocate for us time after time after time. Sales are going to let you get on with it, right? They're going to be fine. That's great. I can go and do new business, safe hands. If that isn't happening, then somewhere in that organization, there's a lack of trust. Because the sales organization don't trust the customer success organization. You know, I love sales guys, but sales guys, you know, are usually extremely, extremely focused on how they spend their time. So if they can avoid spending time with a customer because they know CSM absolutely have it in, under control and go off and find a new customer, they'll do it. If they're not doing that and they're spending time wanting to be stay involved, wanting to keep their interest in a, in a, a customer that's already sold, it probably tells you something about trust and their concern that actually it's not safe in the customer success team's hands, which may or may not be right. That may be a misperception. But it's probably something like that that's driving that behavior. And that's what you need to think about how you would tackle. Yeah, it's really interesting, actually. And I think just um, in terms of like building trust, I imagine like having the right frameworks in place so that everyone knows what they need to be doing is probably one way. But have you got any suggestions on how you would go about building trust between CS and uh, sales kind of account management? So, so I think... What you've just said, that, that first piece is critical. I think you both need to understand, well, the company needs to be really clear what it is that it's trying to do for its customers. What are the outcomes that we deliver to our customers that make us unique as a proposition? What's the value attached to those? How do we measure that? How do we ensure we align ourselves as an organization to make sure customers get the maximum value for working with us? If you do that, as we were saying earlier, I think that takes a lot of the emotion and takes you away from focusing on behaviors and focusing on uh, outcomes and what you stand for as a company. So I think that can help to take away quite a lot of that um, kind of challenge and, uh, and tension. I think the other thing is let's go back to some of the some of the CS skills we talked about. Let's go back to curiosity and listening skills and relationship management. Why are sales behaving that way you know do we need to actually just get in a room with them and sometimes i think we're, we're afraid of this in ces we shouldn't be do we need to just get into a room with our sales colleagues and really dig into this question you know what is it guys you know surely you'd rather be off finding new business that's what we kind of want to do we want to grow this company so we we've got renewals handled you know why aren't you off trying to find new business well you're going to find out right you're going to find out at that point they're going to tell you they're not going to be shy so you're going to find out. And I think that allows you to open up a conversation that maybe you can then dig into as, uh, as, a, as a team, um, maybe even as a company, and really understand you know, what's going on and, and why people are maybe not focusing on where they'd be best deployed. Perhaps that's back to that question of trust. So, so talking, communication. Um, I think the other thing is being really clear about how you 
you structure the internal customer journey. So to differentiate that from the customer's customer journey, the internal customer journey. So things like being really clear on, on handoffs, you know, having really great processes for transitioning between departments as a customer moves through your organization and doing that in a way that makes sure people are fully informed and fully up to speed of what the company already knows about our organization as being, you know, being onboarded, for example. I think, again, can help to strengthen the relationships and ties because if it's just, a, you know, here's a new customer, you know, pick it up and get on with it type email, well, that's one thing. If it's a, right, guys, new customer coming in, probably going to sign them in the next month or so. Um, let's start sitting down and thinking about how we would onboard them. I've got a bunch of stuff to share with you. That's maybe done to a structured format, um, ideally in something like a CRM or a Gain site or something. Um, then again, you can start to, you know, uh, improve the relationships because you're working together and that's, you know, a great way to improve relationships. So those three things I would say would be key for me. The framework, just talking about stuff, communicating and having good process that's kind of well-structured that encourages people to work together and, and, and to work as teams. Fantastic. And I think, sorry, um, essentially even just the communication bit, because customer success is fairly new in a lot of organizations where sales has been around for a long time, they still probably don't even know what CS do or what they should be doing. And sometimes you can kind of fall into the trap of CS just being the do everything team or like support team essentially. So I can see how communication is really key there in order to clearly define what CS should be doing and, and how they can work in partnership with sales. Completely. And again, that's where that kind of structured approach comes back. So if you can sit down with the rest of the organization as a CS team and say, this is what we do, guys. So we as a company, we deliver these things for our customers. This is the kind of value that we can drive. You know, we took this company from position A to position B. They're delighted because for them, that's really significant value. It's exactly why we, they bought us. We've been able to prove to them that they've got that value. That makes it really real for anybody. Everybody in the organization is going to understand. What, okay, so that's what CSMs do. If you're not able to do that and articulate that, there is a risk because you tend to be as a CSM. And I think this is true of most of the CSMs I've known pretty well-skilled, well-rounded individual, you can get pulled into all sorts of things. And if it's not clear exactly why why you're there or what it is that you do to the extent that you'll be left alone to do it, um, then you run the risk of being pinched for all sorts of activities because probably you can roll your sleeves up and get on with it, um, which you know, in some ways might be helpful to the company, but it's not helpful to the overall CS mission. So I think we've spoken a lot there about like internal structures and how those functions and, and different teams can work best together. I guess the next level beyond that is then how do you split those teams to effectively deliver that to different types of clients, which I guess is the segmentation element. Um, so from your experience and the different clients that you've been working with and, and consulting with, what are the main sort of processes that you recommend to people in terms of being able to effectively segment their customer base? Yeah. So, uh... This is another interesting one. It's another quite hot one at the moment for some reason. Because um, for me, it's relatively, the process here is relatively straightforward. But I mean, just to give you an example, I've spoken to some leaders in customer success recently, and they feel they should be moving away from ARR. Um, and in the example that I was given, this was because somebody who's influential in, in our community had said that it was a, it was a dumb way to do it, right? Um which is complete nonsense, of course. You know, any consideration of how you segment has to include should we do it by the value the customer has for us. I mean, that's just basic good business. That's how 
all segmentation is pretty much done in sales, right? It's by the potential opportunity that they have or the potential value. That's the new lens that customer success brings to the question because in the subscription economy, it's also about value. So you should always, I think, consider is ARR the way that we should segment? Um, you know, why wouldn't you, on the face of it, you know, why wouldn't you give the most attention to the customers who are most valuable to you? You've got to be able to have a good answer to that question if you decide not to go with ARR. That said, there are definitely alternative approaches. So if you're a company who's got, let's say, really low churn because you're fortunate, you've got a really sticky product, let's say, and it's actually quite straightforward to get to value. So not many of us have that situation, but let's say you do. But what you're struggling with is upsell. Then an option would be to segment by expansion potential. And I think, you know, you mentioned you know, is opportunity a way to segment. Well, absolutely it is a way to segment if that's the situation that you're that you're in. Um, if, however, you're in a situation where you have a small number, you know, 80% of your revenue tied up in five really large customers and the remaining 20 tied up in 100 small customers, then you probably want to segment by ARR because lose one of those customers and that could be an existential threat to you. So, you know, you might choose to segment by ad by advocacy. If you're a young company with very few references and the most important thing you're lacking in the market is the ability to provide social proof or to demonstrate success to your, your pipeline, you might, you might decide to do it by advocate potential. There's a whole range of things. I think what's critical for any company when they get to the point when they need to segment isn't to ask themselves, how should we segment our customer base? I think that's the mistake you make. The right question to ask is, why would we or why do we want to treat our customers differently? And if you can answer that question, you know, so what is it we want to, what is it we want to do that means that we're going to be treating our customers differently? Because the only reason to segment is to treat segments differently. Otherwise, it's just complication for the take of it. The only reason you would segment is because we're going to treat segment A differently from segment B. Why? You know, why and in what way do you want to treat your customers differently? If you can answer that question, then that will lead you really nicely into your segmentation strategy. Um, and that's not a one-size-fits-all answer. That's going to be different for every company. Um, one caution I would offer here is, I don't think it's a good idea to change too often. So because CSMs and their customers benefit from long-term relationships for so many reasons, you don't want to keep throwing everything in the air too often. So you want to think really hard about that question, make sure it's something that's going to be true for the long-term, and then you can go ahead and use that criteria to segment. Perfect. And I guess the next challenge, you know, once you've gone through that process of segmentation and um, and so on, is then applying that to the current setup within the team again again i guess this will the, the natural answer is that it depends but <laughs> um, how would you then suggest to apply that to a team so you know some of the things that we've we've suggested there are you know verticalizing that having a split between like enterprise and, and maybe smaller clients um splitting them by growth opportunity um is there a, a set structure or will it always depend is it something as you say that um you need to ask well why are we and segmenting it that way and then why should we then apply that to the team in that specific way yeah i mean I'm, I'm you know generally i think you should be wary of anybody who tells you there's an answer right for almost yeah. anything um uh, which is funny given that we're asked you're asking me lots of questions giving you lots, <laughs> giving you lots of answers but um i think you're right i don't think there's a neat 
one size fits all here. So the things that factor in, how are you going to segment? You know, what's the size of your current team? What does your customer base look like? How are you set up to automate the customer journey? Can it be automated? You know, if so, how well are you doing it? Can you do that across all segments? Um, so there's a whole bunch of considerations there around how you would uh, how you would approach that allocation question. I think there's also the question of, and this is important, and you're here. I'm hearing it more and more. Is you know, are you going to charge for any elements of what you're delivering as a CSM? And you know, on that topic, I would say that my personal belief is that the core CSM offering, that piece about delivering value from the outcomes that you're set up as an organisation to deliver for your customers, doing that in a way that can be measured should not be a line item on the customer order form. You know, for me, customers shouldn't be able to say, I don't want to purchase that. And so therefore they don't have any CSM. So that piece to me should be paid for out of license fee. I mean, you're still, they're still paying for it. It's just bundled within the license fee. But if you want to go beyond what's needed to assure um, success for the client, maybe training, for example, um, we're starting to charge for additional setup things that currently you do for free as part of CSM. CSM. I think as long as that's done carefully and mindfully so you don't confuse the customer and you do ring fence and leave alone that core aspect of the CSM role, then I think that's probably just good business, right? I see no reason why you wouldn't want to monetize aspects of what you're doing to do is today's CRM if they're not core to that piece of ensuring that you're actually getting the customer to value quickly and keeping them there and using it as a foundation for, for growth. Um, it really depends, but I'll give you a couple of examples of how much this can vary just to, to kind of back up why I don't think this is a one size fit, fits all um, example. So um, in one of the customer leadership roles, or CS leadership roles I've had, we were allocating to CSMs at a minimum 10 million in ARR. Uh, one, of the, one of the people on my team had 18 million in ARR under management, which was seven clients. That's one CSM. That's bigger than the revenues of many startups. You know. So whereas in another client, uh, typical CSM had a couple of million of ARR under management made up of 20 accounts. Both of those options fitted where we were, what was needed. They fitted with how we were segmenting, the size of the team, the customer base, the maturity of the company, the level of automation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but wildly different. Seven clients for 18 million, 20 for 2 million. I've, I've spoken to CSMs who've got 50 clients um, and, you know, maybe a million under management. So, it, you know, it, <laughs> it, really does, it really does depend on so many factors that I just don't think you can, give a, you can give a general rule. You've really got to think it through, do the hard work, right, to come up with something that you think is going to work for your organization. How are we most effectively going to structure what we can afford to put into the customer success management function to maximize the amount of value we're able to generate in our customer base, you know, based upon how we want to treat customers. I think that's the, those are the critical questions. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, going back to what you said about actually doing the segmentation, it's not something that you want to change too often once you have it sort of allocated across the team, but I guess it will be something that you do need to revisit uh, time and again, based on you know the growth of the company, maybe you are bringing on board more clients and, and so on, um, which kind of nicely brings us on to the next section, really, in terms of application and measurement. So um, once you have the segmentation implemented and you've, you've allocated that across the team, and again, I guess is a, is, is a pretty big question, but 
what are the key things that a CS leader should then be doing in terms of measuring how effectively that segmentation is working and how CS is being delivered across the business? So a uh, couple of parts to this, probably, I think. Um, first of all, let's go back to our equation, value realized for satisfied customers equals renewals, expansion, and advocacy. Um, and the ultimate measure of the success of a CSM team is that right-hand side, right? It's renewals, expansion, and advocacy. Are you, as an organization, ensuring success across those three metrics? Now, for me, I really like net retention rather than renewal and expansion. Um, I think that's you know ultimately a great measure for, for CSMs, the combination of renewal and expansion into one metric. Not to lose sight of the individuals, you still need to be looking at those because what you don't want is a 60% renewal rate camouflaged by a 50% expansion rate that gives you a net retention of 110. You know, you, you definitely don't want that. But I think in terms of how you would be measuring the success of a CSM team, maybe in terms of an incentive, then I think net retention and the advocacy they generate are really important me measures for the performance of a CSM team. Where I think I'm a little bit out of step with the mainstream, or I sometimes feel that way, is um, I also think you should be measuring CSMs on the left-hand side of the equation. And in fact, that maybe even is more important. So if you are in a company who's in a position, and not every company is, and if you're not, I think you should be, but not every company is. If you're in a position where you've got the right instrumentation on your platform, such that you can actually measure the increase in the value driving outcomes that your platform provides for your customers, then you can measure your CSMs on that. And that's that's great for a couple of reasons. But just before we step onto that, I think you know, the important thing there would be that the start of the year, you could you could benchmark where a CSM's customer base was in terms of you know, the value measure that you would that you would that you would apply. And it might be a combination of several metrics. It might be one or two really critical metrics, whatever happens to work. Um, over the course of the year, you would see hopefully increases in the value across the customer base. At the end of the year, the customer would be able to demonstrate that CSM, sorry, would be able to demonstrate that they'd driven the left-hand side of that equation, which should then result in the right results on the right-hand side of the equation. And this is nice for a couple of reasons. First, it's predictive, right? It's much more predictive to be looking at customer value that you're delivering than renewal rate, which is not a predictive measure at all. You only know if a customer is going to renew for certain when they renew, which is at the end of a period, not during or at the beginning of a period. So customers who've got high value that's being maintained or, is trend, or, or, or which is trending up, which is what you'd like to see, are going to be much more likely to renew than customers who have low levels of values or who are, whose value is trending down over time. Now, there's lots of other factors in play, but on average, that's going to be that's going to be true. So it's really preferable, I think, to be able to embed and use a measure of customer value as a measure of how successful your CSM team is. And also, if you can do it, if you can measure user satisfaction in real time, you know, ideally in the app. So there's a few companies now that provide you with technology that you can embed in your in your tech or you could build it yourself that lets you really find a way to measure user satisfaction as you know as you're moving through the course of a 12-month period, let's say for example. Combine those two things, you've got a really great picture of how successful your customer is. Not only can you go to your stakeholders and say, look, your your users love us, you know, we've got all the all the data that tells us that. 
But look at all the value we've delivered for you because we've got the right instrumentation to show that you're actually really getting a lot of value from, from using us. That's great because it also solves the measuring CSMs question in a nice way. If you measure CSMs on renewal rate, um, then at the individual level, that can be quite punitive. So I, I really favor measuring a CSM team at the level of the team when it comes to net retention or comes to renewal. Um, when it comes to measuring individual CSMs, I think it's a little unfair to do it on net retention because if you've got half a dozen customers and through no fault of your own, the biggest one goes away. And the kind of test for that is, if we had any other CSM, would it have been different? If the answer is no, then probably there's nothing you could do about it. If that customer goes away, you could be absolutely hammered. And yet having, you know, having, having had them be really successful, it could be because they're acquired and the acquiring company has different technologies, so they just drop you or it could be a bunch of reasons. So I think that can be quite punitive. Whereas if you're measuring the CSM directly on how well they are driving value at their customers, then that's unequivocal. An individual CSM is either, either moving the needle up on average or moving it, maintaining it or moving it down. So I think that gives you a really great way of measuring CSMs in real time on their actual ability to do the job and get the results that your customers want. So I think that's a great personal KPI for, for CSMs. Um, and I think renewal rate's an important KPI for CSMs, but at the team level, not at the individual level. And just in terms of the terminology around things like uh, value realization, outcomes, et cetera. Um, I think you kind of touched on it towards the start of, of the session, but um, do you think that's something that is starting to become more of a trend or is it the fact that it's all, always existed, but people are maybe realizing that that is what the, the focus should shift to? So I, I think it's a matter of, of where you're looking. I think that's the, that's the bit that we, I'm not convinced we've all completely got in our head yet. So let, let me try and give you an example of what I mean by this. So um, let's say you are an application security company. So let's say you're Vericode, which is an old uh, company that I used to work for. Um, and your business is helping organizations secure their software infrastructure, their technical landscape, whatever it is. Um, one of the things that you can do for customers is help them reduce the number of vulnerabilities um, in their software. And if you think about what needs to happen for that, there's a bunch of things that need to happen, all of which you could describe as outcomes, all of which you could measure as being indicators of success, but actually aren't necessarily where you should be looking. So the first thing you've got to be able to do is make sure that all the developers are able to get onto the platform. So they, they understand why the software is being deployed, they're told and motivated to use it. They've got an active login. They can find their way to the platform. They can log in and they can start poking around, right? That, that's building a level of presence. That isn't adoption. I, I actually don't like the word adoption, but you know that that is not a measure of success. It's, an, it's a necessary step, but it's only the first thing you need to get done. And if you're measuring that and calling that an appropriate CSM measure or a measure of success or adoption, you're kidding yourself. The next thing that they've got to be able to do is understand how to use the technology. So they've got to know how to upload their code, how to run a scan, how to interpret the results so that they're in a position to actually go back and make the necessary changes to their code. So they're engaging at that point with the use cases that you provide as a vendor. 
again, if you're measuring that and thinking that that's the customer getting value, you're kind of kidding yourself. And I think that's where a lot of companies are. They're measuring engagement with the technology. But the next step for a user of Vericode is for the developers to take that report and then leave the platform and go off to their IDE, make the necessary changes to the code to, let's say, reduce the number of cross-site scripting errors or SQL injection opportunities, you know, the things that would make software code vulnerable, then come back to the platform, rescan the code and see that the number of reported vulnerabilities has reduced. So over time, if you are able to trend down for a complete organization, the number of security vulnerabilities in their code and measure that, now you're delivering value. Now that's the value that you as an organization really bring to your customers. So if you're measuring a CSM across their portfolio on the number of people logging in, you've got a very different picture from if you're measuring your CSMs across the portfolio on the reduction in the number of lines, uh, sorry, the reduction in the number of software vulnerabilities per thousand lines of code at their customer. And that whole piece of getting to value is much more complex and much more demanding than getting people just on the platform or just running software scans. It needs management reinforcement, it needs education, it needs training, it needs support, it needs all sorts of other things. That's all part of the purview of the CSM and all part of what separates a great CSM from an average one who's getting the customers to value rather than just to say engage with the use case and running scans. So I don't know if that makes, hopefully that makes sense, but for me that's where I'm not sure as a profession we're all thinking about it yet in those terms. Uh, beyond that, of course, you've got ROI. So you might well be able to relate to the fact that you're reducing the number of uh, lines of, sorry, the number of defects of um, in a thousand lines of code. There might be some ROI savings there as well because you're using technology to highlight defects rather than peer review, for example. So there might be some people savings you can relate to specific ROI. You're also, you know, huge benefits around brand integrity because you're less likely to be hacked that has a value um, you're not going to be fined because you're compliant with the legislation around having secure software code if you're in banking for example so there's ROI there so you can go beyond that value into ROI that's sometimes a difficult leap to make but often there are ways to get at least to indicate that you're delivering ROI in pure financial or kind of you know, those very high level terms that companies would Kind of consider objective measures of how successful they are as a business. So, so I think I think there's a way to go here, guys. And I think it's it's thinking about it in those terms is really I think going to help people focus on what really matters to the customers, and therefore how we take them on their journey up through presence and engagement with the use case, really to value and then ultimately to ROI. Yeah, I think you make a lot of good points there, especially around um, sometimes there is a very heavy focus on things like adoption and usage, but you know, as you mentioned, it goes far beyond that. Um, you can have clients that maybe they only need to use it sporadically if it's a, a platform that they're logging into. So if you're just looking at um, like frequency of usage, for example, then you can kind of miss the point really. Um, and I guess that kind of brings us on to the next question really, which is around creating success plans with clients. So um, we, we've kind of touched on it throughout the, um, the talk today, but having those frameworks in place to make sure that you're, I guess at the start of the relationship with that client, you are um, actually capturing what they would value as success. So is that something that you recommend to people in terms of 
doing a success plan that is agreed with the client? And if so, should they do that with all clients? Or do we then have to go back to our question around um, segmentation and thinking about which clients should we do success plans with? Is it the ones that we see um, higher value in or um, more growth potential or, or anything like that? Yeah, so uh, great question. Um, <clears throat> when we talk about segmentation, I think that um, one of the critical things to think about when you're segmenting and you're going back to that question of, you know, why would we want to treat our clients differently? One thing to really keep in mind is that um, you want to try to be differentiating by delivery, ideally not by content. Meaning, for example, that um, if you have uh, a process that you want to take your customer through that explains to them how to get to a valuable outcome. For an enterprise customer, you might do that in a half-day workshop, for example, but you can't afford to do that for Tech Touch, so you might invite them to a webinar and have 50 people on it. But the content that you're trying to communicate and the outcome that you're trying to get is, is very similar. You can just af afford to invest more time in the most important customers and actually trying to get them to that point. And I think that's the same thing with, with things like EBRs and success plans, which, which for me are two sides of the same coin in a sense. I think the EBR deck and the conversation that you have in an EBR sets the big picture strategy for, for the period of time between EB, EBRs. That's going to involve senior stakeholders as well as the operational people that you work with. The success plan for me then reflects the specific activities and the status of those for each of those strategic initiatives during the period that you're actually trying to make the, the, the changes take place. So EBR, big picture and strategy, success plan, boiling that down to specific things we're actually going to do day to day, week to week and how we're going to measure it to see if we're progressing towards achieving those agreed initiatives so that in three months or six months time when we sit back down for our next EBR, we can actually reflect on a great deal of progress because we've actively managed it. So for me, those are the, the relationship between the two things. I think having a concept of how you are going to make a customer successful is something you should have for every customer. How you do that for an enterprise versus a tech touch customer is going to be very different. And I think it's harder as you get lower down in terms of lower down as you get to kind of the more scale business to do that in a really successful way. And I think that's where, um, you know, technology can really help you. You know, you can be using tools to expose some generic success plans and, and having those linked to the resources that customers might need to progress. And so you, the amount of actual time you need to spend with them can be reduced significantly as a CSM, which is what you need to do when you're dealing with 50 customers rather than five. Um, and I think what helps here really, again, is that concept of a framework. So actually having it clear across the organization what we deliver in terms of outcomes, what the value that we have is, and having CSM so well versed in that, that they actually, um, and we'll talk about this I think in a minute again, but that they actually lead the conversation at the customer around you know, what is it that we should be doing together. They bring a great deal of thought leadership and content to those conversations rather than necessarily asking the, so what do you want to achieve question and, and seeing where you go from there. I think you can you come at that from a different angle and you can say, you know, look, look guys, given what I know of you, given what, you know, what, what it is that you've bought us for, 
here is what I think we should be thinking about. And the customer is probably going to embrace that and say, great, that's a fantastic starting place. Now let's talk about how we do that. And you'll tweak and evolve. But you give a customer a really great starting point. If you show up with these are our outcomes, this is the value, this is how we do it. This to me feels what's relevant to you right now. Let's talk about what we actually should do together rather than, okay, you know, what success look like for you and how do we get there? That puts an awful lot of emphasis on the customer. Um, and you're not always going to get a great answer to that question. So just thinking about how a CSM can build authority and become a trusted advisor with a, with a client, what would be your advice around building authority for a CSM? Okay, so I, there's a lot there, but I think for me there are three particular things that you can consider that would really help in this area. I think the first thing is make sure you really do understand your customer. So do your research. Don't turn up unprepared. Um, so show them that you've taken the time to understand as much as you could reasonably be expected to understand about them. Now, it might be a scaling problem there. Of course, if you've got 50 customers, that might not be as in-depth as if you've got five or six, but do your research. Um, and then when you're talking to them, build on that with great questions, active listening. So use those two techniques that we talked about to make sure that you really build on that initial understanding um, also, to some extent, you know, demonstrate it, but build on that initial understanding to really get to the heart of what it is that they're particularly trying to get done and why they bought your platform. So you've got a really good understanding. Um, a nice technique there is to use reflection. So when you've you've asked questions and you've you've really listened, just reflect back in your own words your understanding of the situation. Um, that will allow you to be sure that you've properly understood it, and it'll also demonstrate to your customer that. You've taken the time to really listen and you have also properly understood, which will give them you know, the sense that here's a pretty serious person who really wants to make sure they've got to the heart of the problem. And I think the second thing then is do your best to lead your customer. Don't be led. So we talked about this earlier. Um, and there's a critical point here, which I think is that sometimes CSMs forget that they're in a unique position. They actually have uh, something unique in the room in pretty much every situation. You know, they are, or, or they should be, the absolute expert in the room on the application of their solution to the challenges and opportunities that the cost customer has. Nobody else has the breadth of experience in that room. Nobody else has access to all the best practices. Nobody will have thought about and worked out how to, how to genuinely and most effectively apply all that to the solution that, sorry, to the resolution of their problems. So put that expertise, put that unique skill set at the forefront as much as you can with your customers and use it so that you can help lead them to answers rather than be led by them, which you know risks important things being left out, for example, um, and it risks you know some sort of sticker shock with your customers who who might not actually know exactly what they want from your platform in detail. They just, you know, maybe they've been landed with it because somebody else bought it, or maybe they know they need it, but they're not quite sure how to get the best out of it. So put that to the forefront as much as you can, and your customers, I think, will love you for it. Um, and that really does help to build authority because you show yourself as the expert. You know, that, that justifies your seat at the table and your position in the room. That's great. Yeah, that's great advice, actually. I think it's something that I've come across a lot, um, especially when you say, if a user gets access and they don't really know why they have it or what they should be doing, like just acting as that consultant, sharing case studies, use cases of similar clients, acting as that expert. And almost you kind of have to resell in the need for the for the products and, and why they should be using it. So 
Exactly, exactly. And I think you know you you can you can bring in addition to that kind of reselling and why you know the unique skill set of the CSM for me is the how you know so let's establish the why that's you know that's understanding that's doing the research but then the how and the what you know those if you think about Simon Sinek's why how what um, you know those are the things that you're really the expert in you know how do we actually make sure we get the value how do we maximize that value that's your skill set and that's incredibly valuable you know that really is um, if you can bring that consistently to your customers, you're going to have a major impact on them. Um, and then I think the third thing is is actually to be trustworthy, which sounds obvious, but you know, turn up on time. You know, when you turn up, be properly prepared. Uh, do what you say you'll do. Follow up. If you take actions, complete them. If you give actions, follow up to see if they've been done. Um, and make sure also that you're seen to ensure that your employer your employer keeps their commitments. Um, you know, that can be like herding cats sometimes, but it's an important aspect of the role. Um, and if you do that, again, you're building trust with the, the, the customer because they understand that, you know, not about size, but you really do have their best interests at heart. Yeah, and I think there's an, there's an element there of almost, um, yeah, managing those expectations as well. So if you're able to, um, I guess it comes down to things like product roadmaps, um, particularly for sort of SaaS businesses um, and not being able to promise something that realistically you know your company won't, wouldn't be able to um, actually employ or develop as part of the, the platform. So yeah, doing what you say you'll do is a very key part of it. Um, one thing I did want to ask though, on, on the first point really, in terms of understanding the, the customer, their environment, um, this probably leads back to the segmentation point really. And I know we, we definitely said this depends and stuff like that, but is that almost the case for um, the uh, verticalization that we mentioned? So, and again, maybe it depends on the size of the team, if you have the capability to do it or not, but um, potentially there's a need for verticalizing your CS team so that they have knowledge of the types of clients that they're interacting with. Yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's a, the whole vertical thing. Also, you could apply that a little bit maybe to geography as well, but particularly the verticalization, that, I think that's a really thorny one because um, on, on the one hand, if you really understand finance, for example, um, you probably would, you know, don't also really understand telecommunications or utilities or whatever. Um, and part of building authority and credibility is, we mentioned it earlier on when we talked about skills, having sufficient expertise in the domain, um, that, you know, the domains you're operating in. And that could be the kind of domain of your product application security, or it could also be the, the domain that you're selling into, for example, Vericode sold heavily to financial services. Um, so understanding that landscape was important. Uh, it comes back to that word sufficient, I think. Um, and if sufficient means deep, um, then maybe you would consider um, uh, the, a vertical approach to uh, segmentation was the right one. Um, what you lose there, of course, is all the ability to take the best ideas from elsewhere, unless you're really disciplined and structured about how you collate best practices across the organization and figure out how this applies to, to all your customers. Perfect. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, so the final section then really that we've been asking all of our guests about is uh, focused on trends and advice. So firstly, with regards to trends, we've obviously covered a lot around the current state of CS as an industry and a, um, in terms of skills, etc. Um, but in your opinion, and based on your experience and working with lots of different types of clients, 
um, or types of organizations. Where do you think customer success is heading in the future? What do you think will be the, the biggest changes, if any? So that's a great question, I think. Um, so first of all, I think <laughs> the only thing we can say with 100% confidence about the future is that anyone who tries to predict it is going to get at least some of it wrong. Um, but, but nonetheless, I do have a few things that I would expect to see. I think um, greater clarity on the role, I think, is vital. And I think that's, that's, that's happening. It's happening all the time. And, and actually, your podcast, for example, is, is one of the things that's going to help that because you get people on here and you've had some great folks on the show um, already, then you know, that's going to help by getting, hopefully, a consistent message out there around what customer success really is. Um, there was a great article the other day in the Harvard Business Review. I don't know if you saw that, but that did a great job of nailing some of the current confusion, but also setting out what the role really you know, should be in the future. So I think that convergence around a clear definition of the what I would call pure customer success is something that I expect to see happen. You know, there are other, you know, other organizations, you know, the Customer Success Network, for example, um, a lot of great leaders on um, LinkedIn talking about customer success. I think focusing um, our efforts on getting a clear definition and convergence is really great, and I think that will happen. Uh, I think that the next big thing that I expect to see is more of this shift from art to science. So, uh, you know, one of the challenges I think that people sometimes have when they're building teams is they feel they have to hire people who have all sorts of expertise because they're expecting those people to operate out of the framework that's in their head because they don't have a consistent framework available in the organization. I think as we move more from an art, which is kind of that paradigm, to a science where you've built as an organization a clear approach, a clear framework, clear set of playbooks, you know, you've really understood your value, your outcomes, the best practices that align to those, the engagement models that you need to have to make sure you get the right level of delivery for each segment, then um, you, you make your hiring a little easier because you haven't got to hire people who are deep, deep, deep experts everywhere because you support a lot of what they need to do with that framework. So that is going to widen the, the, the pool of people available, I think, and make it easier for us to hire and build teams, which we're going to have to do because I think CS is here to stay, to stay and it's, it's going to grow. So, so that shift from an art to a science, that will include far greater use of data and analytics, uh, I think. So you, know, you want to be able to show you, be sure you can build the best picture of value, um, ideally with your own ad analytics, which gives you that great predictive measure of health. Um, you know, I think we'll see more talk of engagements being about value and outcomes rather than about adoption. Um, I think, you know, as I've said, the frameworks thing brings more consistency. Um, linked to that, to that, though, and this is, a, I think, potentially a challenge for CS, um, there'll be more focus increasingly, I think, on how you measure the impact of a customer success team. So right now, I don't think churn retention is a good enough measure partly because how do you how do you measure the impact on churn? It's really hard to say, well, our churn rate is 5%. If we didn't have CSM, it would be 6% or 7% or 10%. It's really, really difficult to know. So net retention is better. That's one of the reasons I like net retention because you know that's more than just churn. That also shows the impact that CSM have on uh, expansion, which is important. Um, 
So I think there'll be more focus on it. And I think it's something that CS teams and CS leaders need to really think hard about is how do I demonstrate my value to the organization? Let's talk of a recession. You know, if that were to happen, it's one of the teams that's going to come under scrutiny. So really thinking hard about how we show value. Um, part of that is, is net retention. Part of that is advocacy. But I also think what we talked about earlier, getting really, really good uh, as an organization, and that goes right back to the product and having the right data and analytics in there around showing how the CS team have an impact on the value that customers are getting from their use of the product. And then once you've got enough data, you'll be able to see how that actually aligns to retention, retention and expansion. And you can start to build a genuine picture of the impact of CSM on, on an organization's uh, revenues ultimately. So I think you know, that, that's a big thing that I think will happen, this focus on how you measure the team. Um, also linking back to data, I think is increasing use of AI and machine learning. I think we'll start to see that. There's already at least one startup out there thinking about this. Gainsight just came out with their predictive analytics stuff. Um, you know, and at the moment, if you're building a health score, you might have, you know, the NPS score in there. You might have something around CSM sentiment. A lot of people capture that. You might have some usage-based adoption measure. Maybe you'll maybe you'll even have some support type thing in there. I've seen that around SLAs and whatnot. And you mash all that together and you give it weightings and you say that's the health score and you look at that as a as an indicator. That's a start and it's often a good start, but it's but it's not enough. It's not deep enough on value. It's not going to be applied rigorous, rigorously. So particularly if you've got that CSM sentiment thing in there, that's very very subjective. So I, I think companies who are really smart now are thinking about. How do we prepare ourselves by building a platform that does have the right data, does have the right um, un underpinnings, if you write, like for us to actually bring in some sort of AI or ML, an algorithm, that, especially one that could be trained over time, can look at far more data than we could as humans, would find patterns potentially that we might miss. And I think that what that then brings is a level of insight into customer self, customer health, that's you know an order of magnitude better than you get with your typical health score today, and you can't do that unless you've got the data. So any company that's not thinking now about how do I instrument my platform for customer value, not only misses out on a lot of what we've talked about already in terms of how you demonstrate that, that to the customers, they're going to miss out on the real opportunity of having great insights into the health of their customer base coming out of that good data with things like AI and ML. And what's interesting about that is we go right back to segmentation now, which is maybe you can start to segment on insight. And I think that becomes really fascinating. So if you're a CSM with a portfolio of five customers and you can use that deep insight that you get from um, a health score, you know, maybe from a trained ML, looking at a whole raft of data that tells you this customer is really doing well, they're succeeding pretty much you know, on their own. We engage a little bit, but actually they're doing brilliantly. You know you can keep a fairly light eye on those guys. Uh, you might have a couple of those in your portfolio, for example. And then you might have a couple where you can really see that things are not as good as they should be. You can potentially um, you know, ramp up your engagement with those guys and really dig into the detail. And of course, you turn up with fantastic insights to share to explain why you're there. And so what you might find is we can start to segment effort, not necessarily allocation, but effort 
much better based on a really good understanding of, of health. So I think that whole AI, ML, analytics, insight, value piece all together is a fascinating area for us as a profession. And I think it has a value that's really broad across the organization as well. You can see that playing into case studies, sales conversations and all sorts of stuff. So, you know, I, I, I kind of really urge anybody thinking about about this to make sure you're really close to your product team and you're really thinking hard about how can we properly instrument our platform so that we have the data that we can use for all these purposes around um, you know, the health of our customers, insights into where effort needs to be applied, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I completely yeah. agree with with all you said there. I think the point around data is is huge. Um, you know, a lot of software companies now, the, the the main focus really for them is data and providing data to their clients in, in one form or, um, or another. So it makes complete sense to then optimize that and be data centric or data driven internally, um, as you say, to, to create those sort of health scores. But um, even on your point around frameworks and playbooks as well, I think that's, that's something that um, sales teams are really fantastic at. There are hundreds and hundreds of um, like techniques, playbooks, et cetera, that exist for sales and account management and stuff like that um, already. And yeah, it wouldn't make complete sense for customer success to follow suit um, in that and obviously provide the answers to basically the majority of the questions that we've been through today, really. Yeah, I think, I think you're bang on there, bang on. Um, so I mean, I guess that's it. I think for me, those are probably some of the key key things that I, I see. Um, you know, I think CSM really should be a vital function in the future for any organization that, you know, lives or dies by the value that it delivers to its customers, which is pretty much every company um, in the end. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see it spreading. Well, we're already seeing it spreading out of SaaS, out of subscription, even out of the subscription economy. Um, so I think that trend will probably continue. Uh, but but with that will come scrutiny, right? That's the, the the other side of the coin. I think we are going to be asked more and more often to really demonstrate our value, be crystal clear about why we're here and, and why we're needed. So that whole convergence on the role is vital. The whole piece around analytics and insight and value delivery is also going to be vital. Fantastic. Yeah, I think that's really great. Is actually just taking me back to like um, another episode we did last week with Dan Farley talking about priorities when building out a customer success team and I guess in terms of that like measurement aspect and, and putting together the right frameworks would you say that's probably one of the priorities to consider when building out a team especially with like limited resource I would I mean I think um, it, partly because um, these things get harder the longer you leave it um, so you know you particularly around instrumentation on the platform. So making sure you've got the right data and to, to surface the right analytics or to feed those AIs and MLs. If you don't start doing that early on, uh, the chances are it's never going to get retrofitted or you're going to struggle to retrofit it or it's going to be difficult to do exactly what you wanted to do because you've painted yourself into a corner. So I think starting that early is really important. And I think linking that directly to outcomes and value how your framework's going to be constructed is also vital because then you have the thread running right through the organization. You know, one of the things that we didn't really talk about was kind of the role of the CRO and the CCO and how do you join up an organization? And I think one of the ways you do join up an organization is you do it by being super, super clear on the value that you deliver as a company, the outcomes that derive, you know, that drive that value and therefore how you would construct 
product, how you would instrument the product, how you would sell it, how you would implement it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yes, I agree. I think that that's absolutely a high priority. Um, you know, and it's one of the reasons going back to what we said at the beginning, hiring an experienced leader to get you kicking up, get you kicked off or an experienced CSM if you're new is a really great idea because hopefully they're going to bring that kind of thinking. Fantastic. And this probably actually feeds quite nicely into the next question. But uh, something we've been asking about is just advice for somebody looking to build a career and become a leader in CS. So I know we've touched on this in a number of areas, especially around like what you look for when hiring. But what, yeah, what would be your advice to somebody who's looking to become a CS leader in the future? Yeah, so um, I think um, I, I'm a great believer in, in continuous learning. So learn, you know, so follow CS leaders on LinkedIn, read blogs, you know, listen to podcasts, um, make sure you're staying abreast of the current thinking um, in, in, the, in the field. Um, I also think that um, you, you want to be joining things like, um, you know, I mentioned, the, I think I've mentioned the Customer Success Network, um, which is a fantastic resource. It's three and a half thousand strong. You know, start participating there. Go to meetups and customer success cafes. That's a really welcoming crowd. So if you're new or you're trying to build a career in customer success, then, you know, do as much as you can to learn. I think, um, you know, invest in yourself or, or ask your company to invest in you, um, you know, shameless plug here but come on our training you know we go into a lot of the material that we've covered here today in a great deal of detail and our attendees seem to love it so you know find ways to develop your skill set develop your expertise develop your knowledge uh, training is a great example for that um i, I think if you look sorry yeah. i was gonna say kind of on that note where could where can people find out more about uh, success methods oh just our website successmethods.uk um so but all one word successmethods.uk and uh, everything's up there everything we do including our blog which has got a whole bunch of articles that um, you know some of this stuff we've talked about is is obviously based on some of that thinking fantastic thank I you guess, for asking no no because I, I mean as, as i think alex and i mentioned this earlier like there's definitely a need there for like structured cs training within a number of organizations and i think the challenge may be even sometimes like if you think about like signing off budget for training, that need may not necessarily be recognized from above all the time. So for like CSMs listening to this podcast, thinking we'd love to you know, get some structured formal CS training internally, how can they go and like present that to, uh, to perhaps maybe their line manager or, or the VP of customer success or head of sales, depending on who they report into? Okay, so uh, great question. Um, uh, so let me kind of take that back to a little bit more about how you would, um, you know, what you'd advise somebody either looking to build a career or to become a leader in CS. So, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll answer that in the process. So I think if you're looking to build a career in customer success, first of all, and you're not yet in customer success, you may have listeners who are in that situation, I would expect so. Then I think job one is to start thinking like a CSM and actually putting the principles that we've talked about and, you know, the other great guests you've had on have talked about into action. So actually, in pretty much any role that you have in an organization, you can think and act more like a CSM. You can think and act in a customer-centric way. What's great about that is that when you then sit down and interview with somebody for your first CS role, for example, you've already got a great bunch of things to talk about. You know, as a hiring manager... 
I'd have been really impressed by somebody who said, well, I've been in product or I've been in sales or I've been in implementation, but here's all the ways I've taken and applied customer success thinking within that role, and this is the impact that it had. I think that's a great way of, even though you're not in the role, getting started. I think if you if you are in CSM um, and you want to you want to build uh, your skills and your expertise, I think there's a couple of things. You know, you want to be in a company that embodies what we've talked about in terms of pure CSM, and ideally, you want to work for a great CS leader. I think that's really important. If you're working for a great leader, um, they're going to give you room to grow. They're going to invest in your development. They're going to think really hard about how they can build a great team. And, and you know, in my opinion, the best leaders know that's by engaging um, and encouraging all the best ideas across their organization, across their team, by investing and developing and by creating a place where people can flourish, not by command and control. And this is how we do things. So, you know, look for and try and find that kind of leader. If, if that's where you are already, um, then that's great. What you can do in that point, and this kind of goes back to the training, is you can look at the landscape of, of where you are and what you have, either because you've just landed in that role or because you're already in that role. And you're thinking about, well, okay, how do we, how do we improve what we're doing? How do we take our CS offering forward and develop it and make it stronger and more effective? And I think that's one place where making the case to go on training comes in. You know, if you went to our website and you looked at what was available to you as uh, a CSM over the couple of days of training, I would hope that you'd get a lot from that, that you think, oh, if I knew more about that, knew more about that, knew more about that, I can bring that back to my company and we can start implementing it. So maybe I can be the person that takes the lead on building a framework because they teach all that stuff on this course I've just been on. So I think a great way to, to justify the, the, um, the, the cost is to talk about the value that you would bring as a result of having been on the training. And that value is going to be linked to how you can take the CS proposition forward and that's going to link to some of the things you're going to learn on the training course. So if you connect all those dots together, I think you can make a good case um, to be uh, to be funded on training. Fantastic. That's, yeah. yeah, that's great. Um, and then you asked about leadership. I think, um, you know, if you do that, so if you're seen as somebody in an organization who is not just invested in the role, but invested in the success of the function and actually actively trying to move the function forward or even more broadly move the philosophy in the organization forward or help to embed that philosophy in the organization, then you're acting like a leader. You know, and from my perspective, the best way to prepare yourself for a leadership position and to be in the running is to start thinking and acting like a leader. Not to tread on the toes of your current boss, right? but back to that, if you've got the right boss, the right boss is going to love that. The right boss is going to encourage that. The right boss is going to say, this is somebody who's prepared to take initiative I can work with them. I can give them stuff. They'll take a bit of a load off me. We can partner on things. That's great, right? You know, good leaders are not threatened by that. They welcome it. Um, so I think that's a great way to start getting yourself into a, a good place for leadership opportunities um, when they come up. And then if you, you're in a leadership role, my advice would be very much to be that first kind of leader, you know, that encouraging, supportive, collegiate, bringing everybody into the conversation, Knowing you're you're far from the expert, you know there are great ideas all around you. You want to surface the best thinking, and then collectively decide how to go forward. So you know versus the command and control type of this is the way we're doing it, and there's no dissent allowed. Um, so I think you know as a leader, take that kind of approach, and again, you'll find yourself, I think, um, 
you know, developing as a leader and developing your role in the organization. I, you know, I think you could sum that up as saying you always want to be thinking like a CSM, acting like a CSM, or developing as a CSM, and, you know, good things will come to you in terms of your career. And I think that's, you know, that's a, a really good kind of mantra to keep in mind at all levels of how you build and develop a career um, and customer success. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really, as you say, a really great mantra to have um, across all stages, external, internal, and so on. Uh, internal, sorry. Um, but yeah, I think that's actually a really great um, final point for us, really. So um, I'm, I'm sure we could go on for absolutely hours and hours. Um, there's been some really, really fantastic content. I'm just looking at my notepad here, and I've got absolutely pages and pages of notes. So um, yeah, thank you very much for, for taking the time to join us today, Ian. Um, yeah, we've loved having you on. There's been some great insight, as I say. Um, and yeah, potentially um, hope to do it again in the future and maybe dive into some of those topics in, in more detail. Well, I'd be delighted. And thank you for inviting me on, uh, gents. It's been a real pleasure. I've thoroughly enjoyed working with you. I think your structure is brilliant. And um, you know, it's great to have had the opportunity to spend a couple of hours chatting with you. So uh, thanks again for the invite. Fantastic. Thank you very much.